Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth. Uh, my name is Renee Zhang, Director of the CPA Education Foundation at CPA Alberta, and I will be your host for this episode. Our guest today is Chioma Yufudike, CPA CMA, and we will be discussing wisdom, living life to the fullest, and her career as a forensic accountant. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are $200 or less each month away from financial. Do you think the energy sector say the economy is too dependent on leaves university with considering cloud computing for my business? Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Welcome, Choma. Thank you. We are very excited to have you on today's episode. Excited to be here. Um, would you like to start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself in terms of your career and your background? Yeah, I'm, um, of course, I'm Chioma Fodike, and I'm a forensic accountant. I'm also a mother to four beautiful children. Yes, my career in forensic accounting started, it's been over a decade now to kind of think about it. And um, funny enough, it started, I would say, by fluke. Uh, my career started um, at a big financial institution. I was a frontline staff at that time, and I guess it was my turn at that particular time. I was robbed twice at gunpoint. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so at that time, I made a decision that I never wanted to do frontline again. Mm -hmm. And I think it was on around the time when I was um, relocating to Toronto. And then the job posting came out internally um, at the National Fraud Detection Group. And it was crazy because I applied for the job and I got it. And um, it was around that time when, um, you know, debit and debit credit card fraud was quite prominent mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s. So that's pretty much how my career, I guess, in investigation started. So I started at the National Fraud Detection Group investigating fraud, debit and credit card fraud. And that, that evolved to investigating, you know, corporate type misappropriation. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after 9-11 happened, they recruited me to manage a department of um, anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. So that was very interesting, um, ensuring that, you know, um, unusual transactions and suspicious transactions are reported to the reporting authority. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, that's essentially my career in a nutshell. And it's just since evolved, um, I joined an accounting firm. And then now I work for the Law Society of Alberta, ensuring that lawyers do not misappropriate the trust funds in their care. So it's been an exciting, exciting, exciting career. Sounds great. So one of the topics we want to discuss in today's episode is wisdom. So on that front, um, would you like to talk about maybe what the wisest thing that you might have ever heard <laughs> someone say is? Uh, um, I wouldn't say it's the wisest things, but I would say it's one of the it's one of the words I live by um, because this is near and dear to my heart. It's um, it's a saying by Jim George. It's not how you start that's important, but it's how you finish. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that's very important because it speaks to failure. I've experienced failure in my life. I used to own a, a retail store at the core here in Calgary. Okay. Yeah, I owned and operated it for about, I would say, two and a half years, but it did not survive the economic downturn. So that was very, <laughs> very depressing, yeah. right? So yeah. I would say that um, in addition to that, there's another saying that says that an inventor fails 999 times. And if he succeeds once, 
he's in. He, he treats his success or his failures simply as practice shots, right? Yeah. And I just always think that's important to recognize your limitations, your shortcomings. You take stock of where you are and execute a new plan because we're all capable. I think when I have young people come up to me uh, for me to mentor them when they want to be CPAs, they ask me questions like, you know, but I had bad grades in school. I can't do this. It's too difficult. I always say, you know, it's not really how you start that's important, it's how you finish. You know, don't worry about what happened in the past. Let today be the first mm-hmm. day of your life. So if you, if this is really want, what you want to do, you can always go back to school, take prerequisites, you know, be serious about it, um, set goals, realistic objectives, and crush them, right? Because yeah. every day is a new day to start afresh. So, yeah, so I always have this at the back of my mind. It's not how you start as important, it's how you finish. And in this day and age where you have social media, people are living out their best life and you're so envious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always say to people, you can do it too. So let this be the first day of your life and, and, and know what you want and devise a realistic goal of how to get there. And um, so you talked about recently, you know, like a failure of your store and stuff. Like, what do you think that you learned from that? Oh, I learned a lot of things, even how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I learned when to leave early, you know, how to identify when things are not Mm -hmm. working and when to leave so you don't incur additional uh, uh, debt. I've also learned about, I think the biggest lesson that I learned here is the different types of businesses to get into and what I would and wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this particular case, I know personally that I would not go into a business where I have to keep a lot of inventory. And mm-hmm. when inventory yeah. changes and it's seasonal, yeah. right? Because what are you now going to do with that stock? I've learned that I should go into a business that I know a lot about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, that those will be some of the highlights of my learnings, I think. Sounds good. And in terms of your experience in your life and gaining wisdom, have you had much wisdom come from other people, like telling you about their experiences? And do you share your own experiences, I guess, with others? Do you feel like that is a part of gaining wisdom? Or do you feel like wisdom is usually just gained by your own experience? I would say it's a combination of both, right? I think, you know, your experience is make you stronger. They mold who you are, right? Like the example I just gave with my failure, it's made me understand a lot about entrepreneurship and about Mm -hmm. business and what I wouldn't do and what I would invest in and what I I wouldn't do. In addition to that, I mean, you have, I have my parents give me advice, friends. You also learn from other people's mistakes, other people's successes. You can even learn from the older generation, from the younger generation. I learn every day from my kids. So I think that um, there are some things that my kids would say to me and I'll think, oh my goodness, you're just six years old, where did you gather that wisdom from? But yeah, uh, yeah so I think you, it's a combination of everything from your own personal experience, inward and outward as well. Sounds good. And so um, do you think there's a difference between wisdom versus knowledge? That's a deep question. I think knowledge can be gained by, you know, research and um even Googling, maybe. Even Googling, <laughs> yeah. right? But wisdom is just deeply based on experience. It's just something that you encounter or learn that gives you that aha moment, right? Yeah. And it's deeply entrenched in you and that makes you to be wiser, I think. 
So um, having talked a little bit about wisdom and knowledge, I know you probably use a lot of both um, in your <laughs> career. So let's move on to talk, talking about what, it, what being a forensic accountant is all about. So if you want to just kind of explain maybe to the <laughs> listener or the student that's thinking about pursuing a career in forensic accounting, talk a little bit about, about it and what it actually is. Yeah, so forensic accounting, like I always say in simple terms, it's about storytelling. It's about telling the story using accounting or data to tell the story about the flow of funds within an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, the skill sets that you require to do that, you must have some kind of investigative mindset and critical skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. Always questioning what has been provided to you, whether it's the data, documentation, when you interview people, because things are not always what they seem. A forensic accountant is often hired to conduct fraud investigations, conduct compliance audits Mm -hmm. or anti-money laundering or anti-terrorist financing type compliance investigations and or auditing. The skills that you require, of course, auditing skills, communication skills, analytical research skills, ability to think creatively and um, just have some kind of remarkable curiosity. So you always want to, like I always say, follow the money. Right. And tell a story about the flow of funds within an organization. And what do you think is the main difference between forensic accounting and another area of accounting, just like financial reporting? Is it that curiosity? Is it that digging into details and kind of following the trail all the way from the beginning to the end? Absolutely. You just hit the nail on the head. Um, In financial statement audits, I Mm -hmm. mean, we often joke around that it's always a ticking and tying um, activity. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Did they do this? Didn't they do this? But for a forensic accountant, you want to ask the question, you want to have that investigative mindset. Did they do it? If so, how did they do it? Why did they do it? You know, looking behind the data and really telling that story. When a company hires a forensic accountant, what do you think is the greatest contributions that a forensic accountant can offer a company? The greatest thing that we can offer a company, I guess, is that our attention to detail. Okay. Right? Yeah. So... Of course, we conduct examinations into the finances of any, any business. Um, I think it's our ability to think outside the box that it's a yeah. key um, attribute to a forensic accountant. We help a lot in, in disputes, right? Yes. We help a lot in investigating fraud and misappropriation. We help a lot in, in determining how the fraud was perpetuated, why it was perpetuated, and... Um, the method of concealment, and then also providing recommendations or internal control um, remediation plan to help prevent this from happening again. Because at the end of the day, you learn from your experience, right? And then Mm -hmm. you put controls in place to prevent it from ever happening again. So I would say that that would be um, our contributions. And, you know, able to tell a story, like I always say, tell that story about the flow of funds within the organization. Mm -hmm. So money came in and it went out. But how did it go out and who did it go out to? Did it go out to the right parties? Because at the end of the day, we want to prevent, you know, any revenue leakage, right? So I think we also help um, with the bottom, bottom line as well. And most of all, we do can be used in legal proceedings, right? So we're, yeah. we're trained to give expert evidence, right, okay, in court. Yeah. Yeah. We're trained to, to give rebuttals to uh, expert reports um, from the other side. We're also trained to do valuations. So I think all around, it's, it's, I would just say the biggest skill set that is important here is that investigative mindset 
and attention to detail and having that layer of critical skepticism because mm-hmm. not everybody has that. Sounds good. So in your experience, can you relay any interesting cases or <laughs> experiences without naming names, obviously, um, that might be of interest to our listeners? Oh my goodness. I have to think about that now. It's always a case about who done it, right? Yeah. Um, even where I work right now, misappropriations, whether it's in law firms, com- misappropriated by the lawyer or mm-hmm. by the staff. Um, I've done investigations where you have the supervisor in a daycare siphoning funds to her own pocket. Wow. Yeah. I always say when there's money. <laughs> <laughs> there's motivation. There's or... motivation. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys know about the fraud triangle, right? Why people commit mm-hmm. fraud. Um, the fraud triangle was coined by a criminologist called Donald Creasy. He says that for fraud to occur, you know, three things must happen. You know, there, there has to be the opportunity. The yeah. person has to be under some kind of pressure. Yeah. Right. So if there's a pressure, so whether it's financial related, they're going through some kind of divorce, some kind of pressure in their life. And then there's the opportunity where there's weak internal controls. Right. Yeah. And if the person is able to rationalize their actions that, you know, mm-hmm. I deserve this, I'll pay this later, I'm, I'm borrowing this. It creates the perfect storm or the opportunity for fraud. And there's also data out there that says that, you know, I don't know if you guys have also heard about the 10-80-10 principle, that 10% of people are just morally good. The Only latter, 10? 10%, Only 10%, absolutely. Okay. And then yeah. the latter 10%, they're just innately immoral being just all the way. bad. <laughs> but 80% of people yeah. will swing either way depending on the factors of the fraud triangle. Mm. So pressure, opportunity, yeah. and ability to rationalize the action. Yeah. So I do believe that in any organization that has profit or for profit, as long as you earn some kind of revenue, it creates the opportunity for fraud. So whether it's even vendor overbilling, I've done investigations relating to that, you know, expense misappropriation, things like any anything you think about that has to do with money, siphoning money, they can do it any any which way and they kind of get creative as well. Are there any uh, well-known criminal cases um, that you know of where evidence from forensic accounting uh, was actually used? Uh, that's a good question. I'll probably say the Bernie Madoff case. I think oh, everybody yes. knows that with the Ponzi <laughs> yeah, everybody scheme. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everybody yeah. knows that. Um, that went on for a really long while before anyone figured it out. Many, though, many hey? years. And I think that yeah. um, there's a movie about it now. Yeah. I always say, you know what? When Wherever any organization, whether profit or not-for-profit, whenever money is involved there would always be potential for misappropriation. Yeah. So I always say, you know, in every organization, there has there's, there is something. So whether it's something as simple as individuals cheating on their employee expenses, yeah. right? <laughs> so claiming what they shouldn't be claiming, yeah. so claiming personal as business, yeah. or vendor fraud where the vendor's overbilling and double yeah. billing, right? Or you even have contract employees where they are overbilling, right? Charging in excess of 30 hours a day when you know that there's only 24 hours in a day. And out of that 24 hours, they're definitely not working 24 hours, right? Yeah. Um, or whether it's an organization where you have staff forging checks mm-hmm. or diverting email money payments to their own account. Yeah. So I have a ton of stories. But um, yeah, so I always just have to say, you know, people have to be mindful. Anytime that you have this funds in question, people are always tempted to... And have you found that to be true, like in your work experience, that what they say about the fraud triangle is true, where it is if those three factors are all linked together, then 
that's when fraud happens. You know what, Renee? I have actually tested that theory. Yeah. So anytime I finish an investigation, I always say, okay, let's look at the qualitative side of things because we always focus on the data, right? Yeah. So let's look at the qualitative side of things. So you always find like the, one of the investigations that I did, I think the individual just recently went through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Perhaps pressure. He, pressure <laughs> yeah. Or perhaps he was fraternizing with his criminal clients. So he was mm-hmm. a lawyer, a criminal yeah. lawyer, fraternizing yeah. with criminal clients. Or there could be some financial difficulty where, you know, their house is in foreclosure, yeah. they can afford certain things. Yeah. And the opportunity is always there because they have so signatory on the account. Yeah. Um, or if they don't, they have access to the bank account, mm-hmm. access to the online banking system. And then they're properly able to rationalize your actions that, you know what, I'm just boring it for a temporary time. I'm going to pay, pay back. back. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it just gets bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. Or if it's theft by staff, like the ones that we've investigated, you you could see the pressure side of things where perhaps they have a spouse or brother who is going through some kind of surgery. Yeah. Um, they need money for something. Yeah. And, you know, they have access to... You know, not only the financial records, but the bank account system. So they think that, you know what, if I take this, I would definitely pay this back in my next paycheck. I have a plan. Yeah. But you, that doesn't always happen. Something just happens and it crumbles and they're not able to repay mm-hmm. it. And next thing you know, $1,000 becomes half a million. Yeah. Right? And it spirals out of control. Spirals out of control. Or people that have addiction issues, we yeah. always see that. Gambling problem. I'm going to hit it big and then I'm going to pay it back. Yeah. There's always that kind of pressure. So addiction, gambling problem, there's always the opportunity. And then if you're able, I find that if you're able to just properly rationalize it in your head, right? Yeah. Because not everyone is, is in, falls in that 10%. Like I said, 80% yeah. are just moral beings. They're yeah. just going to fall either which way because there's some pressure in their life, right? So I yeah. think as long as you're able to properly rationalize it in your head because you didn't initially set out to do it, Yeah, then it's easy to to do that. So what would you say is your favorite thing about forensic accounting? My favorite thing about, I'm a very inquisitive person. Okay. I have yeah. a very, very curious mind. I think even in my my personal life, my favorite channel is the investigative discovery channel. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's the ID channel. So I always want to know who done it and how it was done. Um, So that gets me going. So I would say my favorite thing with a forensic accounting is that each case is different, right? Yeah. So even if you work for an organization and you're and, and something happens and you're called to investigate, each case is different. Each case is perpetuated differently. Method of concealment is different. You're looking at, yes, you're looking at data and you're looking at documents and accounting records, but you're looking at it for in different reasons, right? You're yeah. analyzing bank statements for certain anomalies and people have different patterns. So, and I think it's just that it's exhilarating when you when you find a little red flag that can lead you to the next thing and lead you to the next yeah. thing. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a puzzle. So at the end of the day, when you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you just feel very fulfilled. Yeah. And um, yeah. So along those lines, have you ever had a case that you could not solve? Yeah. Really? Does that happen quite a bit? It happens. Oh, okay. When you can't solve it or when you just can't, um, yeah, complex and you just can't determine, um, there's a fine line, right? And you just can't determine, you know, how the method of concealment, so how did they conceal it in the data? Because if you can't 
figure that out, then you don't really even know how it was perpetuated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then it just remains a mystery. It remains a mystery. All right. And but that doesn't happen yeah. often because yeah. there's always an audit trail. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's just about following the money. I think the cases that I would say that was difficult to solve would be money laundering type cases because you just never really know what the predicate offense is and the source of the initial receipt of funds. Um, You can only trace it really when it hits the account and, um, you know, they try to, you know, structure it. They're trying to layer it and then integrate it back to society. But trying to connect that to the initial predicate offense to determine whether it's money laundering, even though that's not your job, but you're just trying yeah. to do the, the analysis. I think, yeah. You can only just present the facts, right? That's right. what you can do. And, yeah. and um, yeah. And what do you think is the most challenging part? Following the money, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Because a, a very good crook or somebody who, yeah. who is hell-bent on misappropriating funds will find the most complex way to conceal what they're trying to do. So just yeah. siphoning through data, through documentation, because once you get in there, the first thing you want to do is stop the bleeding. So you want to stop funds from going out and you want to preserve evidence, right? Yeah. But if evidence is being, um, you know, destroyed, so that that's always difficult to piece together, right? Because you yeah. already always want a good, good report at the end of the day. And have you ever had to actually testify in court? I haven't, but I've I've prepared um, reports that oh, okay, went to court. Okay, that w- actually went to court. And what advice uh, would you have for students that are considering a career in forensic accounting? Well, I would say, you know, just the ability to think creatively, right? Yeah. Having that investigative mindset, critical skepticism. Definitely having your CPA. So you can't be called a forensic accountant if you don't have your CPA mm-hmm. and your master's in forensic accounting, right? Yeah. So that's that's a background or training. So you okay. kind of have to have both. Yeah. But I would say, you know, having that mindset, and I think that that's what differentiates us from the normal um, accountant. Yeah. Um, ability to write reports because no amount of work that you can do on your own if you're not able to present that logically, concisely, and accurately in a report format. Yeah. Nobody would know all the work that you you, you put into you it. put into it, yeah. right? So I'll say communication skills, report writing skills, data analytical skills, mm-hmm. right? Data analytics because yeah. right now that's all we do. We deal in big data. Yeah. So if you if you don't like you know working with data, talking to people interviewing people, you know, siphoning through documents to find that needle in the haystack because it's always that needle in the haystack that's a smoking gun, right? Yeah. If you don't like that detailed type of work, then you wouldn't like forensic accounting. So then are interpersonal skills like also pretty important like in forensic accounting? Like especially if you're dealing with people that are like under pressure, like I imagine during an investigation, you might have to, you know, speak with individuals that you might suspect, you know, have been involved in fraud or something like that. Like what is that process like? <laughs> I would say interpersonal skills helps, but obviously yeah. interviewing skills is the bigger okay, piece, right? Yeah. And and that also comes with training. Yeah. I always say it's 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 very important to go with two people because you want to be asking the question, but you want the other person to also be listening out for the answer. Yeah. Because I could ask you a question and you could give me this long winded answer and just take me up in the loop and I forget that, the, <laughs> that you haven't actually yeah. answered my question. Yeah. So it's always important for the other person to be to, to be listening out for the answer and if that hasn't been answered, ask it again, right? Yeah. 
But I think that all comes with skills, right? Just listening yeah. out for the right answer, for cues, yeah. verbal cues, nonverbal cues, mm-hmm. body language, um, the way they, they respond back to you and back to yeah. your questions. So I would think that perhaps you'll necessarily need to have that going in. But if that's an area that you want to be part, part yeah. of, it definitely can be learned. So you said you've had a very fulfilling career, obviously, in the area of uh, forensic accounting. And from what we know about you, you also have a very fulfilling life. Um, <laughs> I understand that um, in addition to being a forensic accountant, you're also a, a volunteer board member, right. a fitness enthusiast, Ooh. a wife, a mother of four. Um, so I guess talk a little bit about how you balance all of those things and what type of, especially in the fitness area, what type of fitness things you're doing and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I always say when you find something, when you when you love something, you always find time yeah. for it, right? Regardless of how busy you are. Um, my motto in life is always, you know, work very hard and give back and not be afraid to live your life, right? Because this life is too short. Um, so I try to to model that and live that. So in addition to, you know, trying to build my career, yeah. um, I always make sure that I try to give back because like I said, I've had, you know, a successful career thus far. Yeah. So trying to give back to my community in whatever way I can, whether it's through financial literacy through the CPA, through my volunteer board positions. I try to do that as well. Um, like I said, I'm a mother to four very active kids yeah. <laughs> under the age of all four under the age of ten. Wow. So <laughs> trying to kind of manage that as well. Yeah. Um in terms of fitness, um you know, I, I have a, a love for fitness. I like to be fit. I like to be healthy and, you know, to be present with my kids. And I like to also incorporate my kids into my fitness regime. Um, I love kickboxing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, cool. um, so I've incorporated, I've been doing kickboxing now for about a year and a half. So I really like that. I also love running. And I think the reason why I for the fitness thing means a lot to me because it's I think it's that hour and an hour and a half where it's just my me time. So it's either yeah. I'm plugged into my music or I'm yeah. watching something and then I'm exercising. It's just me not being disturbed, just yeah. having my me time. So I actually quite enjoy that. And do you get to do you do that every day or I would say <laughs> I would say I do some sort of fitness activity every day. Every day. So Amazing. I could yeah. do um I could do five K run in the morning and then in the afternoon after work I could do um you know weights or yeah. I can do kickboxing one day and then the next day do something yeah. else. So kind of alternate. Okay. And so there's probably a lot of people out there listening that are like, I don't have the energy, I don't have the time. Do you have advice for them, I guess, about how to make the time and how to live yeah. a f- very fulfilled life? I, w- I think I would probably say it's time management, right? Okay, I think that yeah. if you find something that you love, my motto is you always find time for it. Like my day starts at 5 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. right? So okay. I start from 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> early? <laughs> yeah, I start yeah. really early because yeah. I know that my day is always so busy. So yeah. I kind of have to get my fitness in yeah. in the morning and be out of the house by 8 so I can get to work. Because after work, my kids have, you know, their soccer activities. I don't have time in the evening. So yeah. I think it's just about planning and mapping out your day and just following a schedule or routine um yeah and so how do you how do you decide like what is worth your time versus the stuff that's (laughs) not worth your time I think it's just about prioritization, yeah, right? Okay. Like like I yeah. said to you, like there's things that are very important to me, like, you know, my career, my children, mm-hmm. um, my me time, and then giving back. So yeah. we only have 24 hours in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, you figure out what that is and kind of slot it in. And then you also have time for, you know, your friends as well, travel. I, I, I honestly do believe yep. if something's very important to you, 
<laughs> you make time for it, regardless how how little or immaterial you think you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll take some inspiration from you because um, I can't imagine waking up at five every day. <laughs> All right. Straight from the CPA's mouth is centered around Alberta's CPAs sharing their insights into the worlds of business, accounting, finance, and more. Before we end this episode, Choma, could you pose another question for the next guest? What do you consider absolutely necessary for a successful life? That's another deep question. <laughs> Are there any last thoughts you would like to add before we wrap up? Ooh, last thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, I just say that, you know, go ahead, work hard, give back, and live your life to the fullest. Sounds great. So there you have it, straight from the CPA's mouth. Uh, thank you, Choma, for being here today. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our next episode focusing on things that are necessary for success. And don't forget to subscribe to the Straight From the CPA's Mouth mailing list for access to exclusive content. Get more information and sign up at cpaalberta.ca slash podcast. Straight from the CPA's mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to 1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.